Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. On this date in 1904, here is something you probably did not know, but you're going to be glad you know it after I tell you. On this date in 1904, the ice cream cone, a rolled cornucopia of sweet crust designed to hold two scoops of ice cream, was first made publicly available. Now, I don't want to go so far as to say that the ice cream cone was invented on this day in 1904, because I feel certain that, you know, there were some people out there somewhere uh, taking, um, you know, basically like hot cookie dough and rolling it up in such a way as to create a portable uh, means of uh, of having ice cream, you know, at home or, I don't know, at a picnic. Um, but But here you go. In 1904, the ice cream cone, officially a rolled cornucopia of sweet crust designed to hold two scoops of ice cream, uh, was first made available. On this date in 1967, some of the bloodiest riots in American history began in Detroit. But that was 1967, right? Those things don't happen today. On uh, July 23, 1996, the U.S. women's gymnastic team wins the first ever team gold at the Summer Olympics in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Do you remember them? I I totally remember them. Uh, Amanda Borden, Amy Chow, Dominique Dawes, Shannon Miller, Dominique Merceneau, J.C. Phelps, Carrie Shrug. You remember them, right? Four days later, a 40-pound pipe bomb would explode at Centennial Park, and the Olympic experience would be forever changed. A lot can happen in a day. Some of those things we can predict, we can anticipate, we can plan for, others we cannot. Today is a COVID-19 might have been or supposed to be day for many people. There is no Summer Olympics in 2020. There are no blockbuster summer movie premieres. There are no state fairs. There's not going to be the rollout of the fried Oreo or the ice cream cone, whatever this year's a uh, fantastical thing would be, uh, that's not going to happen. Except, Paul tells me, maybe through something called a food parade, which we're going to report back on when I know more. So, what is there to celebrate? What is there to celebrate? Well, here's one happy distraction. Today is Major League Baseball's opening day. Delayed for 119 days, but uh, but it is going to happen, and today is the day. It's going to be weird Ballparks will be empty. There will be cardboard cutouts of spectators. Uh, Every pitcher will have a personal rosin bag not touched by anyone else. And apparently there's going to be some sort of online way to cheer, which will then be piped through the loudspeakers in the stadiums. That's what I know so far. There will be no high fives. 
Phillies slugger Bryce Harper says that's no problem. The air high five is making a comeback. It's going to be the coolest thing in baseball this year, the coolest thing in sports, the air high five. Well, let me just say radio has perfected the air high five long ago. Peter Kapsner and I will demonstrate it for you when we come back. That is the music for Peter Kapsner. Welcome back, sir. Headlines are off the hook. I loved them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we have one more thing to share with you. All right. So, you know, we're, we're doing this listener survey. Yeah. Now, this might provoke a whole lot more people to to now text the word survey to 877-933-2484 because they're going to possibly want to influence the, the, the current statistic, the current reporting <laughs> that we have. <sighs> Paul, how did you describe it the other day to me? Oh, the... I'm, I'm Where sorry. Peter stands among guests. Oh, oh, uh, let's... Oh boy, you really want me to say this because... I know, I know. Being... It's hard. It's hard. Oh, no. but this, we're just going to um, go is, ahead and have to stroke his ego. Okay. Just, no, no, go yeah. ahead. Don't don't be on pins and needles, man. This is good. Okay, he is. he's the favorite. Yeah, <laughs> there's wow. no question. The favorite guest. Oh my gosh! That actually—I had no idea. That's absolutely delightful. I just—I love hanging with you guys and the guests. So that's that's even great news. So yes, please, everybody, text survey right now. So <laughs> here's so here's the thing: right? if you if you don't feel that way, it's really important that we hear from you on the survey. Because <laughs> 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 right now, Peter—I mean, like there'd be ever there'd be never any way of ever releasing you because right, people love you, yeah. which is good because I love you too, and we love having you. Uh, we love talking with you. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I'll buy you a, what's the kind of dog on a stick that is in at the state fair? Pronto in, pup. Pronto pup. Uh, pronto pup. You, buy, I don't know if you want one of those, but it's, well, it's yeah. very. If you, if you can slather it in chocolate, I will take it. A chocolate <laughs> really? covered pronto pup. Oh, I, it, I'm not sure how those flavors work together, but I'm willing to take the risk <laughs> for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, what are you most missing this summer? I'm just curious. Yeah, I I think um, just the this is maybe going to sound strange, but maybe maybe the thoughtlessness of going out um, Mm -hmm. of just like when it's time to go to the store or take my kids to the park or um, those kinds of events. You you sort of have to plan. I want to make sure I've got my mask. I want to make sure that I've got everything um, that that the kids understand the social boundaries in which we might be going. If we're even just getting ice cream that you referenced and. And there's a little local ice cream shop kind of in the in the town village where we live that's been here forever and ever and ever. I have students that sometimes grow up here and it seems like almost all of them have, the, have worked there. It's really been this iconic place in, in this town. And just like walking up to it, we have to make sure that we're standing in the right spots on the sidewalk. It's only one family at a time in the ice cream shop. And so I, I respect all of that. I really do. I, I think it's just the thoughtlessness of, of going out and enjoying the ice cream without having to worry about everything that goes along with it. And it just we're that that's such a minor trivial thing. But it is something that I miss is just sort of the, the frivolity of summer on some days when you could just have a, a day away. All right. And um What's your favorite uh, ice cream flavor? 
Oh gosh, I'm torn. I you know I grew up probably as as you guys did as well, where it was mostly chocolate and strawberry and vanilla. That was sort of what you what you had options with. And then Baskin Robbins brought out you know 31 flavors or something. And I think it was Oreo ice cream. The first time I had it, I, I had no idea you could even put together those flavors. But but at the end of the day, it's peanut butter and chocolate. If if <gasps> if you've got me big, too, really. That's and, totally and it needs my to have favorite. The big ribbons of peanut butter, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. The more the, peanut the, butter the harder, flavor, it has to have the chunks and the whole huge, thing. Yeah, huge amounts, huge ribbons of peanut butter. Yeah. So yeah. the Baskin Robbins version is the version I grew. I mean, you know, I say I grew up with. Like, right? That would be my yeah. Baskin Robbins flavor of choice. Would be that chocolate peanut butter one. But yeah, um, sure. finding other people, other people try it and they don't necessarily succeed. But yeah, there you got to have a lot. There have to be big chunks of peanut butter in there. For sure. Like I, it, it calls me back. I remember when I first had it and when I was I can about taste six, it right now. Old. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember the Baskin Robbins and now I've got the smell of the Baskin Robbins. I mean, the whole <laughs> thing is coming back for sure. <laughs> okay. We're supposed to be talking about something else. I feel certain. Yes. Um, okay. So conspiracy theories, apparently uh, Christians are prone to fall for conspiracy theories. I actually read a, a Twitter thread on this where clearly people who are not Christians were commenting about the susceptibility of Christians to fall for conspiracy theories. And so I just thought that I would tee this up as a conversation for this morning. Yeah. Yeah. I, that one, I'd be curious your thoughts on that, too. And I know I'll have to go to break in just a second. So maybe we can kind of start it out. But um, I, I've been wrestling with it when you sent me the article, because I do. I really love the work that David French does when uh, he, he's talking about the idea of conspiracy theories and, and how we maybe don't bring even our faith and our Christianity uh, into these conversations. On the flip side of it, and, and maybe this is where I'd start it off, is as a student of history, I think we can safely say that when you look back through governments globally, not just in the West, but when you when you when you become a student of, of Russian culture or you look at some of what happens in African governments. And I know some people that work in the African governments or, or Asian cultures as well. South American cultures. Uh, we see it in Venezuela uh, over the last couple of decades, too, is that you do sort of have a history of quite a bit of corruption, not just in, in current age, but littered throughout the history books most governments on some level are corrupt. Now, does that extend itself into conspiracy theories, which maybe is an entirely different category of corruption? I think it's a, it, that's, a, that's a pretty open conversation. You don't want to see a boogeyman around every corner. But at the same time, I think we at least have to be clear-eyed that governments have a pretty long uh, track record of, of engaging in corruptive behavior. Now, starting from there, then we can kind of take it, I think, and wonder. So, what, what kind of credence do we give to some of the wild conspiracy theories and why are Christians, why do they tend to be more susceptible to them? All right. Well, uh, Peter Kapsner and I are going to continue that conversation in just a moment. In the meantime, uh, what's your favorite ice cream flavor? You can text me at 877-933-2484. We'll be right back. I have uh, I have touched on a topic um, as interesting to our listeners as rhubarb was. Um, nobody so far has said rhubarb ice cream, but we have uh, votes in for after dinner mint, black raspberry yes. with chocolate chunk, Babcock, UW orange chocolate chip. I don't know, uh, extra caramel, anything with coffee and chocolate. Uh, yep. let's see, big chunks of peanut butter and chocolate ice cream. Yes, that's Jennifer. She belongs to our tribe, apparently. Uh, Becky wants <laughs> butter brickle 
And then we've got uh, a strawberry cheesecake vote. So if uh, if you'd like to weigh in on favorite ice cream today, just text your favorite ice cream to me at 877-933-2484. Peter Kapsner and I are talking about conspiracy theories having nothing to do with ice cream. Um, Peter, I think that there is a worldview conversation to have. Those of us who believe... Um, you know, rightly, I would argue, in a supernatural worldview. Like, this is not a closed yeah. system. It's not just, uh, you know, human beings at the top of some sort of uh, uh, genetic uh, pyramid that's ever rising to something else. It, this is actually a created order by an eternal God, um, and there are spiritual forces at work. That's one part of the of the conversation, which leads me to believe that there are conspiracies, because, after all, I do believe in an enemy of good, and I believe that he conspires against the one who is good. And so part of my uh, ability or willingness to believe that people conspire to do bad things is because evil conspires against good all the time. Boy, I hadn't put it together just in the way that you said that, Carmen, but I but that just it, it reeks of the truth to me. Like putting together that worldview that you just said that uh, that the world is a place that uh, somehow we have to appropriate what the scriptures say, where it is it is within the authorities of this present darkness, that the principalities and the powers. And, and I'm not always sure how to appropriate that idea other than what you just said. It would, it would make more sense than less sense that then when power is exerted in our world, uh, that it would be influenced at least by some level in the principalities and powers, which then does make a pretty compelling argument that Christians coming from a different kind of view that have been set free from those kind of powers do get engaged in all of these kind of conversations in very thoughtful ways. And, and, uh, and, and I think there's such a difference in conspiracy theories between and how you uh, approach them between being wise and being constantly suspicious. I, I know for me it's understandable, as, I, as I've been heard, and I'm sure many listeners have been heard, it's understandable when we feel suspicious towards other people, but that suspicion is really hard on the heart. And, and how is it that you can become wise and thoughtful and not just go hook, line, and sinker because somebody's a charismatic leader or somebody maybe has the echo chamber of the same political position that you might have, uh, to, to be wise and thoughtful and see, you know, I'm not just going to buy everything this person says, and I'm going to try to ask uh, the Spirit for discernment about these things that that maybe be helpful for people and, and prosperity and flourishing and all of that, and some of those things that might be corruption without necessarily always being suspicious about every last thing, because, boy, suspicion closes down the heart uh, just like that. I also think that there is a um, a tendency, a negative tendency, to then focus on uh, the dark, the ugly, the lie, instead of having our focus and attention where it is supposed to be, our mindset yeah. on the one who is above and the things that are above, um, focusing on goodness, beauty, and truth, you know, always seeking to um, advance the light into the darkness. Um, I do think that some of the tendency is to get fixated on, uh, on the enemy instead of fixated on the king. Yeah. What, I mean, what is the draw for that, Carmen? Because I, I agree with what you're saying. What what is it about a good conspiracy theory that you can sell you know, two, three, four hundred million tickets in, in Hollywood if you develop a good conspiracy film? I mean, it, it draws us like nothing else. And and so I'm not sure what that speaks to about what the human heart is interested in, in seeing. I guess on the flip side, some of the movies that are some of the most beautiful movies that I've ever seen also, too, have the capacity to draw the heart. And uh, and it. it 
it maybe just speaks to that kind of constant tug of war that <clears throat> we still all live in in this life where um, we are drawn still to those things that are a bit nefarious or a bit dark. And, and I know it, you know, people probably, if they're flipping around on the television, they might be sort of drawn in for just a second by something creepy or something that is, is just sort of off of the, of the Christian trail of light on which we're walking. And so it's interesting. I, I just think to be really mindful when we are seeing the headlines that we see and reading the stories that we see. And I'm just going to go back and, and say that again about wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to discern the good and evil around you as uh, through the eyes in which God sees it as well. And to ask for that wisdom as we're navigating the headlines, as we're navigating these conspiracy ideas, to be able to see the truth in them so that we can be bearers of the truth and walk in truth and talk in truth with our neighbors and our friends about it. I really think it starts with the, with asking God, as the book of James says, for wisdom to be able to navigate these things. Okay, I think that's absolutely uh, that's absolutely accurate. Um, we are going to uh, tend to listener comments here for just a minute because they're, they're, it's become a little overwhelming. Great, I love it. <sighs> okay, uh, I'm trying to see where I where. Okay, uh, Becky, um, who weighs in for butter butter brickle, then has <laughs> a follow on commenter David who says yes butter butter brickle. But you can't hardly find it anymore. So I'm wondering, Becky, if you have a butter brickle resource that we could share with David. Uh, and then let's see. Um, I think we left off at strawberry cheesecake. So we have uh, a friend here weighing in. Coffee flavored ice cream uh, is this person's favorite. And then, okay, and then one I'll just admit to you, I've never heard <laughs> of and brilliant. I don't ever want to taste. Ever, ever, ever. I have assured Cheryl that her black licorice ice cream is forever safe. Ooh, I don't even yeah. want to taste. I don't. Th that is not one of those where like, oh, can I taste that? No, no. All oh, no, of the Cheryl. black licorice yeah. ice cream, Cheryl can have it. No, Cheryl is, is now, I think she's the fifth human being that I've ever heard of that likes black licorice <laughs> in all of my thousands of years. So I, I love Cheryl for that fact. But yeah, the ice cream is definitely safe right there. <laughs> all right. Let's see what else we got. Um, Okay. Um, Superman. Superman. Super. Yep. What? Superman. That's that. Yeah. What What are the colors in that? Cream? I mean, clearly it's not natural. It's not an all natural ice <laughs> cream. That's know. for sure. Um, I but I'm guessing it's <laughs> blue and red. Is that I don't know. All right. Ice this cream that was brilliant. popular yeah. in the seventies here in Minnesota man made by Land of Lakes. Okay. So, oh, peppermint bonbon. This is the person who I sent them a question back because I'd never heard of this. Peppermint bonbon. You ever even heard of that? Apparently <laughs> it was have. popular in the seventies in Minnesota and it was made by Land of Lakes. So for I don't know. Essentially it was a... It's it, a peppermint chip, chocolate chip kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. But Where it was the bonbons? Called peppermint bonbon, for sure. Oh. Yep. So let's count. Now we need to resurrect <laughs> that thing. How about Turkey Hill chocolate marshmallow? That is uh, on here. Frenchy chocolate, Frenchy love chocolate raspberry. That's a combination of flavors I would not like. Uh, oh, this person loves. So um, apparently Cheryl does have to share black licorice with one other person, Jennifer Eastman. I don't know. Jennifer Jennifer's, is the yeah, sixth person now in my life. Okay. I don't know. She's great. just willing to try it. She's just willing to try it. <laughs> okay. Um, this is great. <laughs> oh, but you can get um, Butter Brickle at Byerly's and Lund's. Yep. I don't know. In the Twin Cities. It's one of my yes. wife's favorites. I've got to say, Hallie's a big you. Butter Brickle. Yep. Uh, okay. So I feel like we have hit on something. Uh, Michelle wants to wants to uh, set up here mint with chocolate chip flakes. Um, oh, <laughs> black great. licorice ice cream from... Bridgman's is the best. Oh. Where can I get from? Is that a oh new gosh, person? Is that another person? Is that yes, seven in is. my life now? It's a, yes. 
Seriously, wow. I don't. Yeah, I've almost I don't know. doubled the number of people <sighs> I know that I like black licorice in in, in three minutes here. <laughs> oh, Justin uh, is weighing in. Superman ice cream is blue, red, and yellow, and that's the last makes, color. It, yellow. He says it makes me sore. <laughs> Like, like, not, not sore like in pain, sore like an eagle. Yes. And can't you see him as a little kid? Like, oh. he's got the Superman ice cream. He's got a cape. He's he's launching off the end of the picnic table. It's a good day. It's a good day to be alive. I mean, All right. We have we to leave it right there. I don't know what we were community. supposed to talk about today, but thank you so much. This, uh, this is maybe my favorite time together. All right, Peter. Thanks so much, man. Love you guys. Love you, too. We'll be right back. So we're having lots of conversations today about the kingdom, the king and the kingdom, and we're also having lots of conversations about diversity. And right at the intersection of those two conversations is a guy named Walter Strickland. Uh, Walter is a professor of systematic and contextual theology uh, at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He grew up in Chicago and in L.A., uh, and he has written a book that you know, I just think is so timely. It's For God So Loved the World, a blueprint for kingdom diversity. And Walter Strickland is joining me next. This is Max Licato. Some years ago, a Rottweiler attacked our golden retriever puppy at a kennel. The animal climbed out of its run and into Molly's and nearly killed her. I wrote a letter to the dog's owner urging him to put the dog to sleep. But when I showed the letter to the kennel owner, she begged me to reconsider. What the dog did was horrible, but I'm still training him. I'm not finished with him yet. God would say the same about the Rottweiler who attacked you. What he did was unacceptable, inexcusable, but I'm not finished yet. Your enemies still figure into God's plan. Their pulse is proof. God hasn't given up on them. They may be out of his will, but not out of his reach. And you honor God when you see them, not as his failures, but as his projects. This is Max Locato. Joining me now, Dr. Walter Strickland. He is an assistant professor of systematic and contextual theology um, at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's also the associate vice president for diversity. Dr. Strickland, thank you for joining us at mor- on Mornings with Carmen. Thank you for having me this morning. So um, there's so many things that you and I could talk about today, and we're going to highlight the book that you have uh, that you have edited along with Dayton Hartman. Uh, The book is For God So Loved the World, a blueprint for kingdom diversity. Um, Really, what I'd love to do, Dr. Strickland, is unpack um, the conversations that you're seeking to provoke and um, some of the very helpful definitions and framework that this book provides. So um, so let's just start with this. Why enter into, in today's, you know, heated conversations, why even bring up the topic of of race in particular, and then the the conversation about complementarianism or men and women as well? I gotcha. And that's a wonderful question. And really, 
my my goal and Dayton Hartman's goal in producing a, a volume like this is really to help God's people facilitate uh, churches and ministries that uh, serve well all of God's people, and uh, both people who are of various racial and cultural backgrounds and people who are of different genders. And so, uh, to be honest with you, I really do think that we are in a in a moment where the world is looking around for some group of people to give an answer to this wound that racial difference and bias has dealt our country. And I think that the church actually has the truest motivation to be able to give an answer to that. And I think we find it in the pages of Scripture. Which actually takes me to um, to one of the chapters in the book, and it's one of the chapters that you wrote, Teaching Scripture with a Kingdom Hermeneutic. Let's remind our listeners what is a hermeneutic, and then tell us what a kingdom hermeneutic is. Definitely. So uh, the hermeneutics is the art and science of biblical interpretation. And so uh, it's, it's wonderful that God, who is perfect, gave us the infallible and errant word for us to understand and to read. But we are those who are imperfect. And so uh, we have to be very careful to give attention to the fact that we're reading the Bible in a way that God would have us to read it. And so as far as a kingdom hermeneutic, it's sort of it's, it's this idea of that we typically read the Bible with uh, certain cultural assumptions in mind that come from our own cultural background and what have you. But then we sort of project those uh, same uh, sort of cultural assumptions onto the people that we're teaching if we're teaching the Bible. So really what I'm trying to say is that we have to be able to read the Bible and understand God's intended purpose for why he wrote it but then also applying it to issues that are like our own, but also are uh, likened to those who might be under the sound of our voice if we're preaching or teaching or even counseling or discipling. And so making sure that we're uh, allowing the Bible to speak broadly to people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So, Dr. Strickland, for those, um, because this is radio, and not everyone has Googled you yet, um, not everyone listening to us right now uh, would would know um, that your skin pigmentation and mine are different. Um, I would be described as white and you would be described as black. Uh, you are clearly a man. I am clearly a woman. The kinds of conversations that this book enables us to have as uh, as people who are created in the image of uh, of God uniquely as male and female, and who are created in God's image um, with different skin tones, you know. And so I want to use the word race, but I want you to help us define that term. Definitely. And um, the idea of race is actually very, uh, it's actually a, 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 a term and an idea that comes from people. And so uh, in, in the book, I describe actually uh, the reality of ethnicity, culture, and race, because a lot of times the three get collapsed under the banner of race. And so if I can just do a quick going back to ethnicity, then culture, then race, it'll help us understand what race actually is. So uh, ethnicity is, you know, is basically related to biological traits. Uh, and we see this word ethne in the Great Commission, go to all the ethnes, all the peoples, baptizing them in the name of the triune God. We see the word ethnes in Revelation 7, 9, and 10, where the peoples of the world are, are worshiping in the kingdom. But then, uh, so, that, so that's a, ethnicity is a good thing. It's a, it's a, it's a wonderful thing that will, be, that will be in the kingdom of God. 
But then we also have culture, which culture is very interesting because it's a human made thing. It's things like food and um, hairstyles and just basically ways in which we end up expressing ourselves, what it means to be on time. If you're in Africa or in Singapore, it's very different. So cultural things are not necessarily moral things, but uh, they're sort of manifestations that come out of cultures. Um, and then what, what race is, is this. It's a, a socially constructed reality that attributes negative or positive meaning to the biological or ethnic traits or cultural traits. And so what does that mean? Well, the um, these cultural traits or the ethnic traits are things like skin tone meaning something. Uh, you know, we, we just saw a couple of weeks ago, a young woman in Central Park was calling the police officer on a man and the intensity of her request for the police to come was based upon the skin pigmentation, this biological trait that was meant to categorize him as dangerous. And then we also see the cultural traits, like the way that we clothe ourselves. If we take ourselves back to 2013, we see the, the way that the, the hoodie that Trayvon Martin was wearing as being, being seen as a negative thing or meaning something that was uh, deviant or bad or something like that. So these like racialization categorizes these uh, biological or ethnic realities or these cultural realities and creates sort of this sort of this in-group and this out-group, these people who belong and don't belong. And so that idea of race is human constructed. And I think we need to destroy that and all of the wounds that it's dealt us as a society. And I think the only thing that can do that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we want to celebrate the kingdom diversity, the ethne, and we want to acknowledge the reality um, of culture. But these categories of race and the racialization that follows and the racism that is produced and then the way racism hides over time um, in systems, those are the things that as Christians we have to bring the Bible to bear on those concerns. This book helps us do it. It is For God So Loved the World, a Blueprint for Kingdom Diversity. Dr. Walter Strickland and I will continue our conversation in just a moment. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Walter Strickland. He is a professor at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in Wake Forest. Uh, he is the co-editor of a new book, For God So Loved the World, A Blueprint for Kingdom Diversity. Um, Dr. Strickland, uh, talk with us about sort of just the practicalities of this. Um, and one of the conversations that this book provokes and you guys just directly address is what can women do? First of all, why introduce that question? And then um, what's the answer? Yeah, so th there's been an ongoing conversation amongst uh, Christians about gender roles within the church and in society. And there have usually been two answers. One is a is called egalitarianism, which sort of sees that we're all equal, uh, uh, referencing Galatians, where, you know, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor male nor, nor female. We're all sort of one in Christ. There's, so there's that approach to the conversation. And then there's a, an approach called complementarianism, that there is complementarity between men and women, uh, but it's based upon there being two different kinds of roles, sort of men as the head and women as a, uh, you know, a, a, a viable partner in ministry. And um, 
And that takes effect primarily in the home and in the church. Uh, but, however, as time has gone on, what we have seen is that there are there are becoming multiple ways of manifesting complementarity in the home and the church. And so what 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 we're seeing in, in uh, Dayton and I and, and those who have contributed to the book is that there has been a desire, a rightful desire, I think, as a commentarian to see there that there is these these roles that sort of. Uh, mirror a larger reality of, you know, Christ as a sort of male priestly figure, sort of loving, supporting, cherishing, upholding those who are under his uh, uh, purview, serving in a, you know, in a leadership sort of way. Um, And so in uplifting those around him through that leadership role. So I think that in the past, some people, in order to exercise complementarity, they have erred on the side of caution and not allowing women to really actualize the fullness of how the Bible allows them to be able to serve, even as complementarians. And so um, one, one of my major concerns, if we're thinking about God so loving the world, uh, of all ethnes, of both genders, I, I don't think that a lot of uh, leaders who are men have utilized the giftings that God has put in women uh, that, are, that are there. And so... Uh, that's one of my hopes in this book, that we can really sort of fan the flame of our sisters in Christ uh, in, in both the home and also in the church. All right. I like you a lot. I know we haven't met in person yet, but um, that day will come. Um, I like you a lot. Um, I am uh, I'm Southern Baptist, um, and so that means, you know, certain things in terms of church leadership. Um, I am a person who is actively engaged in this ministry. I would describe what I do every single morning for two hours on air, uh, you know, talking to tens of thousands of people across the country, bringing the mind of Christ to bear on the matters of the day. I would describe it as ministry. Um, There are, uh, you know, obviously that language is even hard for some people. Um, I'm not I'm not preaching. But then I got to tell you, anybody that's got a mama who's a Christian has heard a woman preach. Right. And I was like, right. So so I think that the conversation is um, is more nuanced and more textured than we often allow it to be. And I don't think that, you know, egalitarianism means only one thing. And I don't think complementarianism means only one thing. And so I just really appreciate that in a book where you did not have to bring up that topic, you didn't have to. Um, this book could have just been um, about uh, ethnic diversity. It didn't have to, this kingdom diversity conversation did not have to uh, go into, you know, these very challenging conversational waters in the in the church today. But I really, really appreciate that you guys went there. Um, talk with us, uh, talk with us about your hope for how, who is the audience for this book and how do you hope that it's used? Yeah, so it was my hope that uh, the audience would be fairly broad um, and that it would be for students preparing for ministry. I, I really would pray that <clears throat> that folks who are beginning to conceptualize what it means to serve God's people can have a, a, a bigger vision for God's people than what we often assume. And what we often assume is like anybody else, we're, we're all very self-interested people by default. And that's part of the, the, the curse of the fall in Genesis 3, that we all uh, assume that uh, those who we teach and we preach to and we serve and minister to are going to have the same concerns, fears, joys, and questions that we have. And so oftentimes what 
happens is that we simply begin to answer our own questions for people, assuming that there are our own. But the reality is, is that there's a world out there that God does love that is comprised of, you know, the ethnes in both genders. And what I'm trying to get people to do is conceive of a way to uh, understand ministry that is broader than just themselves. And so it goes beyond, yes, people preparing for ministry and pastors, but I would even hope that a person who is a lay person, someone who uh, is just a, a person who's who loves the Lord Jesus Christ and wants to be on mission with him, will also have that same sort of kingdom vision for what we are called to do and to be and whom God actually is beckoning into his family. And because this 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 dynamic of racism and racialization and all these things, it affects each of us uh, on a daily basis. And I would hope to give not only the ministers of the gospel uh, in a formal sense, but also ministers of the gospel as laypersons, uh, the, the tools to understand where it is that we've come from and how it is that we've gotten here, which is the historical part in part one of the book. And then what does the outward facing uh, testimony of uh, the people of God look like, which is part two, which is on public theology. But then also what does it look like in the ministries of the church, which is part three uh, of the book. And so I really hope it expands that, ca- that, that gamut of readers and also it helps us to understand historically what's going on, uh, what the, the testimony needs to look like outside of the church, but also inside of the church. John's uh, yeah. revelation vision in Revelation 7, verse 9, is really the vision of the book. Uh, and it's seeking to bring, I think, Christians to the place where we can speak biblically about ethnicity and we can then um, understand what culture means and what cultures and cultural influences um, are are operating. Um, and then we can have a conversation about race and racism and racialization and and systems that are racist and on and on and on. So I think you're trying to get Christians back to the right starting place of the conversation, cast the vision for kingdom diversity, and from there, Christians then enter into the conversations of the day. That's what it feels like you guys are doing, and I just really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Dr. Walter Strickland, you guys, the book is For God So Loves the World, a blueprint for kingdom diversity. We'll be right back. Okay, thank you for those of you who are texting in that you think Walter Strickland should be back. Thank you for the person who says, yes, he should be a regular guest. He has a voice for such a time as this. Um, And um, I'm just going to go ahead and say, uh, Frank, who says he has some raspberry rhubarb ice cream in his freezer right now, um, you're going to need to save me some of that. I just, yeah, we're going to, we are, (laughs) I'm going to need to. That is like at the intersection of my two tasty topics this week, rhubarb and ice cream. Uh, so Frank's got raspberry rhubarb ice cream in his freezer. I don't know about you, but I'm, um, I'm now thinking about ice cream for breakfast. All right. We, um, we've had a lot of fun today. Thank you so much. Uh, if you enjoy what we do and you'd like to give your input, you've got a couple more days to do that. Please text the word survey to 877-933-2484. Or go online to MyFaithRadio.com backslash survey and fill it out. Also, if you don't know what you're doing tomorrow and Saturday and you want to jump in last minute on the Northwestern Christian Writers Conference, um, you can still do that. We're still looking for uh, for you. If you want to join us, we would still love to have you. Northwestern Christian Writers Conference 
Com. Thank you to Paul Perot, who is so excellent Aww. as a partner in producing this program. Um, and thank you to each and every one of you who make this ministry possible. Thanks so much. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.